I missed being here last week. Uh, if you were here last week, you noticed that I wasn't here. Hopefully, you did notice. Uh, no, uh, Styles did a great job. My, my name is Moises. I'm, I'm the pastor here. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Um, today, we, we kind of begin, begin a new sermon series titled The Promise of Home. And, and in it, we're going to look back at the story of Joshua. Um, as he, as a man of God, he's given this opportunity to culminate the journey of this promise once given to Moses in the Old Testament and, and, and the people of Israel. And as you may know, the, the story of Joshua is kind of like a personal staple to this work here in Waxhaw. In fact, we launched this church back in February going through the journey of Joshua and we utilized Joshua. And you may wonder why the book of Joshua, why is this story so pivotal to you guys? But in, in 2022, God began to move my heart towards the city of Waxhaw, a place where I personally began my ministry. My first sermon was preached at Cane Creek Park in front of 60, 70 students there as I was invited to preach on a, on a, on a, on a youth camp that they were having there. Never did I ever think that my family and I would be called back to this city to plant this campus in this community. As I began to consider what this journey would look like um, for me and my family, I asked God, but, but why this city? Why Waxhaw? And you may be sitting here today thinking like, I'm fine with it. You know, I'm glad you came. But personally, I was thinking, why this city? This is such a fast-growing community filled with young, thriving families, a city with strong financial capacity, a very low poverty rate. I asked myself, why would we come to this city? And it very quickly dropped in my heart that I heard someone once say that success is not simply a shiny mountain we get to stand on top of. Instead, what it is, it's a pile of mistakes that we get to stand on top of. So what if this great city of Waxhaw, this great community with all its benefits, what if the main reason or the purpose of it all is the one thing they could be missing? Our desire is to develop a community of believers throughout the city of Waxhaw that would fulfill their God-given call to share their faith with one another and become part of a greater family. Our goal here is to reach, love, equip, so we can reach again. Combining both the great commission and the great commandment. We're believing that we, we will reach everyone in this city by loving God and others, equipping them and empowering them to go out and reach other people. We know that the greatest need of our world is what? Jesus. So we want all to be impacted by that power changing word of God to become all that God has created you to be. With Joshua, we see this guy being called to fulfill a call that God had already placed on someone else. Everyone assumes that Moses had it worse. And frankly, when we compare the two journeys of Moses and Joshua, we said, yes, technically Moses went through a lot. Joshua just got it handed over to him. So of many of you, I began to ask, okay, so I have to go to the city of Waxhaw. It's not a shiny mountain. It may be a pile of mistakes. There's people there that need Jesus, but why would I go? I live in Min Hill. So I began to personally ask God about the city. Why would we ever need to go there? Why God? Why, why this area? 
And then it quickly dropped in my heart that I, I once heard a man say that Moses was asked to move a group of people that were desperate for change, while Joshua was being asked to move a people who were comfortable. And, he, and I felt God in my head, that's why I'm sending you. You know? And we, we understand that different seasons in life can be challenging. And, and we get so caught up in the constant outcome of everything that we lose the concept of the journey. We, it, it, it causes us, this focus on the end game of everything that we do in life causes us to miss out on so much. And in fact, it forces us to constantly question the uncertainty of that walk of what we're going through personally. Did you know that the Bible has over 7,000 promises for us? Promises to, to, of success, confidence, health, prosperity, strength, wisdom. Why does God have to promise us anything? Why wouldn't God just do it? It's because he wants you to have faith. He wants you to trust him. Over 7,000 promises given to us as individuals to draw a little faith out of us. To draw a little trust out of us. So that we can rely on something that goes beyond ourselves. I don't know about you, but most of the promises that I've made to God didn't stick. And that's because we're not changed by the promises we make to God. We're changed by the promises God makes to us. There's nothing we can do as people to impress God. He can be moved by our devotion and by who we are, but there is nothing, no effort we can put forth. Thank God that he even considers us. He puts over 7,000 promises so you and I can say, I trust in that. You are spoiled. We are. I am too. I, I've decided to title this message today, Over the Wall. And it leads me to ask the question, what's the one thing that gets in the way of the promises that God has for you? If we talk about over 7,000 promises that God is dealing with you uniquely, that there's a, a personal plan and an effort that God has put forth for you personally, what is the biggest obstacle of that? What gets in the way of that the most? We, we like to blame the type of journey that we're on and say that the type of journey we're on is what's killing us. And I think it's the lack of trust in God and our personal disqualification that we deal with. Where we tell ourselves we are not good enough. This is too much. I am not made for this. And we give up in the journey. We are people that don't bet on ourselves. There's only two people that know you very well. It's yourself and God. And what we have is a God that is constantly betting on you. He doesn't bet. We're not talking about bet. You get what I'm saying, all right? Stick with me here. So we have a God that trusts, that's, that's constantly saying, you can do this, you can do this, you can accomplish this, you can get through this. And what we do to ourselves is we're constantly disqualifying ourselves. Because of who we are as individuals and the things that we personally struggle with. Moses led God's people out of Egypt. God wanted them, 
wanted to take them to the promised land in Canaan, and Moses had to send out 12 spies to conquer the land and to, to spy on the land. Ten of them returned and said they have bad news. There were giants there that would crush our invasion if we attack. However, two spies, Joshua and Caleb, gave a very different report. They said it'll be dangerous. It'll be difficult. But God has promised to deliver the country into their hands. In other words, these two guys said, we're ready. We trust in the promise. The giants may be big. The obstacles may be difficult. But God has promised this to us. Sadly, the people sided with the ten fearful spies. And God let them to wander through the desert for 40 years until the next, those gen that generation of doubters died. And all that remained was Joshua and Caleb. And by the time they approached the Jordan River to cross it and enter the land, Joshua, Joshua at that point was their new leader. And he was ready to go. And he was ready to tackle and, and conquer this land. And like Moses had done, what do you think the first thing Joshua does is? He sends two spies to look at the city. He didn't send 12. He sent two. All right? And that's kind of like the, the story that we're going to jump in as these two spy, spies enter into the city of Jericho. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, if you have your Bibles with you. If not, we'll have it on the screen. We're going to be reading kind of through chapter 2 of the book of Joshua. Listen, and you can sit there quiet, you know, but I'm going to be pretty excited up here, okay? So... Don't be mad at me. That's just how I am, all right? <clears throat> Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men sent out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. You know, when, when, when we can... When, when, when considering our personal lives, we, we, should, we should know that God has a different way of dealing with unique individuals. I mean, the staple of his ministry highlight is based on the concept of taking people who are worthless to some and turning them into these giants of the faith. It's, it's impressive to me how quickly we are to disqualify ourselves when God is constantly seeking worthless people to do the job that he's called them to do. I mean, you take jo Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Ruth, David, Jonah, Daniel, Mary, Peter, Paul. A bunch of people in unique, difficult positions personally should have been disqualified. And God personally calls them out. It's like challenge accepted. You're bad. Oh, please let me have at you. We read these stories and we tie these stories to the outcome, but forget the beginning. How it all starts. You know, sometimes the most influential part of our story is not where it landed, but how it started, where it began, what God took you through. People can relate to that. Growing up as a, as, a, as a teenager, one of the most uh, worst things for me to deal with 
was these pedestal Christians. Because I had these leaders that would tell me all the things that they were. And as a kid, I would look at them and say, I can't relate. If I have to be that, I might as well quit because I'll never be able to be that. And I would walk away from my faith constantly, personally, daily. I would be like, man, he, I appreciate. He speaks. Look how he speaks. God is doing some amazing things in his life. But he's telling me that he does this and he does that. I had a guy. Oh, man. I, <laughs> there was a guy that we were doing a fast, okay, a three-day fast. All right, and we're, we're at the church, and this is, I grew up in the church, guys. If you don't know what a fast is, just, you know, it, it, I was fasting. I'm, like, separating myself, having a personal time with God. And there's this old guy. He was part of the deacons of our church. I looked to the side. We're in this room. We're, we just got done praying. And he said, you want to you wanna punish your flesh, he said. And he looked at a group of, like, three of us. I'm, like, I'm like 17, okay? I'm, like, I guess we could punish our flesh. What are we going to do? He goes in the fridge and grabs a plate of food. And he's like, look. And he starts smelling it. Can you smell that? And I'm like, dude, you're weird, man. Like, what is wrong with you? And he's like, he's like doing all this weird stuff. People get so into this concept of like, if I show you my strength, that could impress you beyond the things that God has done in my life. Did you know that our strengths create competition, but our weakness creates community? You could be a ton more influential if people are able to see through that. You're giving glory to God for all the great things that have happened in your life. But if you just allow yourself to say, this is who I am. John Fisher said, real Christians are marked by sincerity. The whole truth about themselves and the whole truth about God. He said, real Christians stand before people the way they stand before God. Transparent and vulnerable. Anything less is dress up gospel. If you think of one of the most difficult experiences you've had in your life in a church where someone offended you or you were hurt by any reason was probably based along the lines of someone acting like something that they were not. Someone presenting a gospel that meant nothing. Did you know that Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel? There's no added equation to that. It is that simple. Unlike Joshua and Caleb, these two guys that went into the city to spy for Joshua didn't watch too many detective movies. Because they didn't know how to blend in with the crowd. It says in Joshua chapter 2, verse 2 to 3, it says, But someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent out orders to Rahab. They already knew where they were. Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. So Rahab is faced with a choice. At this moment, she opens the door, says, I could either betray my country or betray my newfound faith. I could either stand by the promise or stare at the difficulties of what I'm facing. It could have went bad for her. We keep reading. Chapter, verse 4 to 7. 
Rahab had hidden the two men, but she, she, she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't, I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk at the gates, as the gates were, were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she said, take them up. She had actually taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king, the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. As soon as the king's men had left, the gates of Jericho were shut. I imagine when Rahab shut the door behind her and then these soldiers, she was closing the door on everything she had known in her life. The things she had trusted on, a whole lifetime of, of, of certainty, whether good or bad. She knew that when, she event, when they eventually find out that she had lied, she would have nowhere to hide. One of the biggest problems people have with this story is that Rahab lied to the soldiers. Give the girl a break. It was her newfound faith. Some of us have been Christians for how many years? And we still struggle with it. Can I get an amen? Of course not. Oh, yeah, you said it. You said it. Good. You got honest people in the house. You know, believers are called to walk by faith, not by sight. No one can justify Rahab's doubtful dealing with the, kings of Jer with the king of Jericho, but no one is an angel because they are seeking after salvation. You follow me? We tend to have this backwards approach. We need to deal with people, first salvation, then sin. You can't look at a sinful person and say, you need to change that. When you haven't even talked to them about Jesus. We get so worked up about the sin in someone's lives that we forget that salvation is what they need. Why do we get so disgusted with sin and forget about Jesus? You know, the God of all grace knows that it is only out of the depth of darkness and guilt that anyone can come into the light of his life. Let him that is without sin of pretending to be what he is not cast the first stone. This thought process tends to be the one that will set us off course when it comes to God's plan for our lives. Because it even disqualifies us. I love the idea of the presence of God. I heard a man explain it like this. He says, when I meet someone that's self-righteous, the first question I ask him is, when was the last time you were in the presence of God? Because in the presence of God, there's only room for one sin. Ours. And in the presence of God, we really realize how unworthy and bad we are. But sometimes we get people around us and, 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 and we, we start to disqualify people and even ourselves based on the things that they've done or the things that we see. And frankly, when we realize we don't deserve any of it, he's given it all to us. Everything you are, everything you own, everything you have, it, you name it, it all belongs to God. This is what makes this faith so overwhelming. 
Because when we think about our lives completely devoted to God from, from the beginning to the end, every aspect of it, we're so overwhelmed because nothing in our lives operates this way. There is no level of, of my dad, he raised me and Eddie up to be, he said, you're a company man. And this is crazy. My dad looked at me dead in the face. He said, you work for that company like you own it. Even if you don't own it. He said, you, you are a company man. You're going to work for that company. And when they're done with you, they're going to spit you out. And I'm like, oh, sign me up, I guess. I, you know, my brother and I did it. And it made us successful in life. I don't know if I was spit out yet. I, I guess so. I mean, I but, but, but nothing in our lives works this way. This, this level of grace, this extension of forgiveness, this mercy, this thing, we can't comprehend it. So we disqualify ourselves. We begin to look at obstacles, at the things that get in the way in our lives, from accomplishing the many promises that God has made to us. Rahab was a pagan woman. She had no heritage of faith in the true God. So what made her flip the switch? Number one, she heard and believed. You know, she heard stories about God's power and his promise to deliver her land into the hands of God's people. And she believed every word of it. Listen to what she says in verse 8 to 11. It says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she said. We are afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard that the Lord made a dry path for you to go through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to, to Sion and, and, and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. She had heard convincing stories that the God of the Israelites was powerful and that the Israelites were coming. In time, people, in time, you have to believe this. In time, facts in your head will become faith in your heart and create fruit in your hands. I'm going to say that again. In time, facts in your head will become faith in your heart and eventually become fruit in your hands of what you do. Truth is one of the most powerful things you and I have and carry. Especially nowadays. And we're being called to lead the charge as people that carry the truth. Because the, the, the most essential quality of leadership is not perfection, but credibility. People aren't looking for you to be perfect. They're looking for you to share a message that is credible, that is truthful. You know, Rahab's faith was one that was produced by fear. But it was a fear of the truth of God. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There are two destinations for our eternity, friends. That's, a, that, that's something no one can explain to you. It's heaven or hell. 
knowing the truth will persuade people to make the choice and the right one. Here we have a prostitute that heard the truth and believe it. I love when the Bible talks about Jesus being full of love and full of truth. It's a balance. It's not all love. It's not all truth. It's a balance. Number two. So she heard and believed. Number two, she prayed and acted. It should really be number uh, four things, but I just mixed them together. She prayed and acted. People are already leaving. Oh, my gosh, this is getting crazy. No, I'm just kidding. They don't like it. Oh, what am I going to do now? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, verse 12 to 14, chapter 2. <laughs> uh, they're probably hating me right now because I said that. <laughs> it says, this is, this is Rahab talking to them. She says, now swear to me by the Lord. She said, in other versions, she said, I pray to the Lord. Almost like a begging concept. That you will, you, will, you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men said. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. Rahab's house was close to the city wall. She helped the man escape out of, their, out of the window. She gave the spies instructions about how to, to, to prevent capture. In return, they, they, they told her to, to tie a scarlet robe outside the window and invite her family in the house. So when the invasion happened, they would be safe and protected because of that signal. She agreed and the men left. I'm a firm believer in life that as believers of God, we always know exactly what to do. And the majority of the time, we don't do it because we don't want to do it. And all we know is to default to excuses and reasons and obstacles that we deemify good in our disqualification. We tell ourselves so much that we put ourselves in the position to avoid doing the things that God is calling us to do. Allowing these things to hold us back from our God-given purpose that is laid right before us. The biggest wall you might be facing today is yourself. There are 7,000 promises laid out before you to draw a little bit of faith from you. To help you get over those things that hold you back the most. Your life is so significant. I say that with passion and, and something burning within me. Because I truly believe it. I believe every single one sitting in this room has, a, has such a significant life. Disqualifying yourself may affect others way more than you think. You know, he, he, it's interesting to see what the spies took out of the encounter and how the, they, they relay the message. I was really shocked by this because the spies leave. Who do they talk to? Just Rahab. A pagan prostitute. Told them a story. Listen to this. A pagan prostitute told two believers a story. It sounds like a bad joke, right? 
she told the two believers a story, okay? And these two believers take her story of a pagan prostitute, and this is what they say. In verse 23 and 24, they said, Then the two spies came down from the hill, from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. Look at verse 24. The Lord has given us the whole land. According to who? According to the prostitute. The pagan prostitute. They said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. How many people did they talk to? Just one. Wow. What an unlikely candidate to change the course of history. Would you, who would ever have imagined that God will use his divine purpose for people and that that would rest on the faith of a woman of the street? Oh, man. Significance is a powerful thing. Just like insignificance could be a powerful thing. And the qualification and disqualification, it gets out of control sometimes for our lives. God qualifies you. Not me, not anyone in here. He has qualified you. If anyone is disqualified here, they've done that to themselves. God knows you by your name. The devil calls you by your sin. When the spies needed a person they could trust, God led them to Rahab's house. When their cover was blown, she protected them. When they could have been caught, she gave them a way out. Her efforts were instrumental in opening the door to the promised land. She wasn't a seminary graduate. She wasn't. She didn't have the scriptures. She didn't have a church to go to on Sunday mornings. But she responded in amazing faith with the truth she had. Man, that's powerful that we could this morning learn from the actions of a prostitute and how she heard and believed and prayed and took action and allowed God through you to use her even with her disqualifications. A Canaanite prostitute who aided Israelite spies in Jericho and as a result of her believing God, she and her family were spared during the conquest of Joshua into Jericho. Not only that, but now she's included in Jesus' genealogy for her actions. We hear three references about Rahab in the New Testament. In Matthews, it says that it, it includes her as one of the four women in Jesus' genealogy. Identified as the mother of Boaz. And in Hebrews, it includes her among the great examples of faith because she welcomed the spies. The letter of James offers Rahab and Abraham as examples of faith and action combined. James says in chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out the other way? Who is insignificant? Please tell me. Who doesn't matter to God? 
please remind me. What have you done so bad that gets you out from what God has promised you he'll do through your life? You know, Thomas Aquinas said this, and I'll finish with this. He said, for those with faith, no explanation is necessary. For those without, no explanation is possible. I can't get you to understand this unless you have faith in God. This is not going to make any sense unless you allow yourself to understand that there's a God that once was best for you, that has, has personally called you, that counts, knows the counts of the hairs on your head. There is purpose and significance in your life. Rahab didn't let her past or current situation get in the way of what God had planned for her future. Our lives are only as insignificant as we make them out to be. I believe that our future is bright. I truly believe that. The question is, do you believe that with me? Can you sit here today and say, man, I've been bad, but God has been so much better. And his significance is way more important in my life than my insignificance. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God. Through this story, you give us a reminder this morning, God, that you could accomplish a lot through our insignificance. I just thank you, God. I thank you for touching Rahab's life at that moment and allowing her to open her doors in faith, knowing that she had believed in the stories that were told to her. Lord, I pray that we would, too, be the same way as we interact with you in our faith, God. We know we can't do much to impress you, God, but if we just have faith in you and what you can do through us, God, we could accomplish so much. Help us to understand that there's what we do, Lord, it's super important. And that others are being constantly affected by the things we do and those things we don't do. So I pray that you would give us conviction this morning. That we would serve you and serve you well, God, because that's what you have called us to do. Thank you for the promises. Thank you so much for the promises. We need it. Because we rely on them day in and day out, God. Knowing that there's a God working for our good. Lord, we thank you. And we give you praise this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.